Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for the 2020 season. My name's Michael Laminato and this is a preview of the 2020 Eiffel Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. The Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring is effectively a new race for Formula 1. Not only have we not raced here since 2013, before the current power unit regulations were introduced and long before the current aero regulations were brought in, but it's been more than 20 years since a Grand Prix has taken place there so late in the year. Its schedule almost two weeks into October is going to be the race's defining characteristic. Showers are forecast all week, as is standard among the Eiffel Rangers at this time of year. In fact, two weeks ago, the 24 hours of Nürburgring was suspended for more than nine hours in torrential rain. But even if the rain isn't that heavy, teams and drivers will have to contend with shiveringly cold temperatures. Friday is the warmest day of the weekend at just 11 degrees Celsius, with qualifying and race day aiming for a top of only 8 degrees. The circuit itself offers a well-rounded challenge of slow, medium and high-speed corners as well as some power sections that will put a car through its paces. It requires a similar setup to that used for Barcelona, albeit with less aggressive consumption of the tyres. As a result, Pirelli is bringing the middle three tyres in its range, but don't expect the compounds themselves to be in the spotlight as much as the difficulty of warming them up in this cold weather. Tyre preparation will be a key story of this weekend. It'll be a completely different challenge to that faced by teams last time they visited the Nürburgring. In 2013, with the sport still ordering high wear tyres from Pirelli, the race was won by Sebastian Vettel on three stops. It's a far cry from today's races, when a one-stop strategy is very much the norm. It's something I spoke about with F1 statsman Sean Kelly after last round's Russian Grand Prix review. We've actually had, we've had low pit stops all this year. We had 27 pit stops in, in the Tuscan Grand Prix partly because of the red flags, of course. Um, same thing with Italy, 18. Those are red flag races. But then you've got other ones like uh, the Belgian Grand Prix, 20 pit stops in the race. Mm. You know, we're, we're starving for pit stops here <laughs> compared to the, the early days of Pirelli in 2011. You know, we're going to go back to Istanbul um, next month. And it's going to be nine years since we last went there. When we went there last time, there was, there was nearly, I think it was 80 pit stops. Goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first year of Pirelli's uh, monopoly as the single tire supplier and they were, everybody was three stopping across the board um, and still they couldn't quite you know they were still suspect trying to hang on now we've moved to this situation where people have whinged on about it said there's too many pit stops to cut, you know why can't we have a tire that we can push so okay Pirelli provided that now we're one stopping all the time and now people complain the strategy is too straightforward we need to make the car tires wear out more you know, sorry. I often, <laughs> we, I, I can't, I can't get through any Formula One podcast without pointing out that I can't believe that Pirelli haven't quit this sport because <laughs> everybody just hits them with the stick every week and blames Pirelli for everything. When in actual fact, they're just, they're just making the tires to order. Okay. You want the tire to wear out? Here's your tire. No, no. It wears out too fast. Okay. Well, here's a tire that doesn't wear out. Okay. Well, it, now it's too predictable, the strategy. Okay. Well, we'll give you a different tire. Well, now that one wears out. Just for God's sake. You know, we're, we, we're, we're such whingers in Formula One, basically. We, as fans and as personnel alike, we're always, we're always having a bit of a whinge, and this is mine. An absolutely fair assessment, though, I think. It's something we've kept track of on this program over the last couple of years, the fact that no one ever seems satisfied and probably never can be. And in more recent years, or certainly this last season, the talk of this target letter between 
teams in Pirelli and the drivers had their own target letter of what they wanted. It seems like no one really does know what they wanted. Is the answer perhaps to digress slightly again, but considering these one-stop races, it's been raised this week, I think, to implement a rule that requires drivers to stop twice or perhaps to use all three compounds in a race? Potentially, yeah. Um, It's something that I might suggest, you know, the one thing Formula 1 has to avoid is just a knee-jerk reaction, Mm -hmm. which is, okay, from now on, you know, starting in the next race, it's this. Okay, well, have you thought through what this is going to do? You know, have you thought through that? Well, teams, teams will do whatever it takes to make this work as best as it can for them. And it doesn't mean making the racing better. That's not what it means to them. It means whatever works best for them. Um, So you've got to be careful and properly think these things through. I mean, one thing I might suggest is, well, why don't you try it in the F2 race? Why don't you, could, you, could you possibly have a situation where you try three compounds in the F2 race and see how that mm-hmm. works in a race setup? And then, then we've at least trialed it at a lower level first, um, particularly on an F1 racetrack, because obviously that's, that's a support category. Um, it, is, it is tantalizing, I would say, it, particularly if, if you had that situation and you said, okay, um, you have to run a minimum of, let's say, 10 laps on each compound, right? So then you can't just, there can't be just like one wild card compound which you, which you put on for one lap under the safety car and then come in the next lap and put it and take it off again, which is one of the, the drawbacks you could potentially face in that situation. Mm-hmm. If you said, okay, each compound is a 50-something lap race, you have to run a minimum 10 laps on each of these compounds. And then, you, and then what Pirelli could do is actually go away and say, hey, Here's the C12 compound, which is super <laughs> duper ultra soft, or you know, or the C minus four, which is you know you could run the whole season on that set of mm-hmm. tires, and then you've got this massive dichotomy in in the terms of performance to the point where it almost feels like you're driving a different car. And if 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 they were to do something like that, or to do something that that, that, that changes the balance, like you know, okay, the the one compound it's 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 to the rear and one compound it's to the front makes it much more of a challenge to set the car up to handle that and it would it would create more um difference between drivers over the course of a race you know if somebody's on oh he's on the the c1 okay well that's quite a different proposition now to the one at the other end of the range and we know he's got to be on it for 10 laps minimum so you know this guy could be reversing through the field or this guy could be charging through the field um, it, it, there, there are there's, there's prospects for that, but I also appreciate that a lot of people don't tune into Formula One for this stuff. We, you know, we're, you have to bear in mind, you and I and people who will listen to this podcast, we're real, we're the hardcore group. You know, we 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 know the nuances such as these. The very fact that we can sit here and talk freely about C three, C four, C five, and not have to explain what that is. It's great, but the you know the the armchair fan has no idea what we've t- already lost us. They've already like I don't know what this person's on about. So we've also got to be careful not to overcomplicate things and make it to the point where I I don't know why Lewis Hamilton just pitted when he was in the lead and winning the race uh, to switch onto a tire that he said is rubbish and then he lost the race. You know it. That, that could be a bit baffling to the average, to the, to the armchair fan. With the Nürburgring one of six bonus circuits on this year's calendar, I also spoke to Sean about what F1 can learn from visiting a string of different and old school racetracks. Sochi's no longer a, a brand new circuit, and we are slowly starting to see, I guess, the track develop a little bit of character, I suppose, whereas really it was defined by being extremely smooth and offering no grip it still largely offers no grip but 
has become something of a factor in its own right. Yeah, and it's also getting bumpy. Um, I think the 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 um, you know the, the way the land is settling post Winter Olympics mm-hmm. of 2014, um, the land is starting to settle now and create bumps, which is nice because it gives us something different. I, I've often argued that um, contemporary F1 racetracks are like billiard tables, mm-hmm. and it really. It, it, if it's the same everywhere, it's just a homogenous product and it's, you're not out offering any variety. Well, at least we've got some bumps. That's a start. <laughs> um, because that's a different characteristic that a car has to deal with. You know, the, the, back in the day when we had bumpy tracks and smooth tracks, you know, you could see the cars that had better mechanical suspension setups cope better with the bumps and would go quicker at that racetrack. So that's that's something to be lauded. And I hope they don't, you know, come rushing in and say, right, now we've got to resurface the whole thing for next year because somebody complained that there was a bump. Um, yes, that is nice because Sochi is a race around a car park, basically. It is a modern incarnation of the Las Vegas Grand Prix of 1981 and 82, which were very, very unpopular and, and obviously didn't continue after 82. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, not, uh, it's not an unfair criticism. It's just a statement of fact. Um, it doesn't have the appeal of, say, Mugello, which is an old school track built in 1974, Mugello, incidentally, never been altered since it was built in 74. So we were racing on a 1970s racetrack last uh, really? two weeks ago. Yeah, that, that, we were racing on a 1974 racetrack. Um, and that's not something we can say about any other racetrack we go to. So that's why the, you know, the cars are so spectacular around there, because the car, that track was built for 1970s motorsport. Sochi, on the other hand, built purely for F1. Um, and not only that, but hybrid era F1. Um, it's just it's just a little bit robotic and a little bit soulless, um, you know. I'm probably getting into an off-topic rant that has nothing to do with strategy, um, but that's um, you know it, it it is it was at least nice to have the variety that we had in in Mugello compared to Sochi. It does strike me, and I'm willing to take the digression here because it's something I have been thinking about this week. Obviously, there is a lot of. Uh downcastedness, if we can use a word that I've almost certainly just made up, uh, about Sochi as a circuit. And that then extends more broadly to a lot of F1's newer tracks, certainly the purpose-built ones. We know, of course, we've got Abu Dhabi coming up later in the year, and that's not especially well-loved as a racing venue, nice though that the facilities are. And is it not strange? And comparing it to Mugello is a, is a, is a great thing, a circuit that, as you've said, was essentially untouched since the 70s that somehow, despite all the technology we have and all the knowledge we have, obviously, about the way Formula One cars race in the modern era in particular, that tracks that have been built more recently don't actually seem to offer a great racing experience when it feels like it should be the opposite. When tracks were kind of designed on a a hunch, you'd think those are the ones that are more likely to fail and we should be actually really good at designing tracks that offer a lot for the drivers and for the spectacle. Well, I will, I will say this in defense of Herman Telker. Um, Sochi is obviously is, is largely a design that's been forced mm-hmm. upon him because he has to wind its way around all of the various Olympic venues and so on. Um, and as you can see in the TV pictures, it is largely asphalt. It's, it's, you know, there's nothing, there's no hills, there's no grass, there's nothing. So what can he really do with that? Not much. A lot of the other racetracks he's designed have been very good. Sepang, I still think, mm. Sepang was his first totally yes. purpose-built project, and I still think that stands as his best work. That's a really outstanding racetrack. Um, and it's, it's certainly, if, if, for anybody who's been to Malaysia, will attest a punishing physical 
effort to have so many a lot of high energy corners in the middle of that oppressive heat and humidity just watching is punishing yeah that is that, that that's a fact he did a fantastic job there of of making something really really special um other tracks not so much like you mentioned yas marina terrible racetrack really one of the worst racetracks has ever been built in <laughs> formula one but in mitigation one of the uh, by far and away like the best venue i've ever been to the 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 facility is absolutely phenomenal mm. and um, it's just a shame they don't have a racetrack to match that because if you go to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, you, you think, wow, this is amazing. If you watch it on television, you think, make it stop. <laughs> like, please just wave the checkered flag now just to end this, this, this incredible boredom. So, yeah, it, it, the experience of attending a race can often be far different from the experience of watching it on television. Fortunately, the next few races on these unfamiliar circuits should make for some fascinating viewing, including this weekend's Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, even if it's just to see how teams cope with the wintry weather. I'll be back next week to analyse all the action. Until then, you can subscribe to the Strategy Report wherever you ordinarily get your podcast, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter for our regular pre-race strategy guides. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you next week for a review of the Eiffel Grand Prix.